Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So as you can see through all the instructions and the meditation, it's really the four foundations and what we've covered so far. Breath in the body, feelings arise and they pass away. Thoughts arise and pass away, the present quality of your mind. And throughout it all, the Buddha doesn't say, drive those things away or get back to work. He says, be aware that they're arising and passing away. And if there's an underlying like thing I keep in mind is all conditions, things arise and are subject to impermanence. That's, that's what this practice is. That's the understanding. That was Bunda's understanding that he was aware that all conditioned things are subject to impermanence. They arise and they pass away. So we're just gonna read our purpose statement and then we'll get into this short teaching and then uh, we'll have our discussion. Becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center preserves and presents a human Buddhist woman initially recorded as the second book of the Pali Canon, the Sutta Vitaka. Our practice is informed from over 300 curated suttas restored by John to their original intent and practical focus. Our practice is empty of imagined insight, magical thinking, mystical grasping after, and unfounded speculation. Our teachers and students remain focused on these suttas to develop a direct mindful experience of establishing a well-concentrated, supple, and conflict-free mind through the Eightfold Path. It is the Eightfold Path that Siddhartha Gautama taught over the last 45 years of his life with the sole purpose of abandoning self-inflicted self stress and suffering through ending ignorance of the form of the truth. I skip it every time. Okay. Uh, hey, David. Can you speak up? Yeah, we speak? can't hear. Just so you know. Uh, thank you. Padamoksha means towards liberation. These guidelines support a well-informed and well-focused sangha and establish the most effective environment for Dhamma practice, always focused on liberation from ignorance. Becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center is a true refuge from the chaos in the world and ideological contradictions and foundational confusion prevalent in the modern in modern Buddhism by common agreement. Our practice is framed by the Eightfold Path, which establishes the skillful balance of jhana meditation, sutta study, sangha participation, and daily individual dhamma practice. When gathered for Dhamma class, we refer only to the Buddha's Dhamma as restored by John and presented by our teachers. When gathered as a Sangha, we accept responsibility for maintaining the gentle integrity of our Sangha. 
When gathered as a sangha, we are free of grasping after magical, mystical, and speculative concepts and fabricated experiences. When gathered as a sangha, we practice wise restraint. Questions or confusions about verbiage or arising from comparisons to other modern Buddhist practices, modern Buddhist teachers, or what they are teaching are not part of our Dhamma classes or Sangha discussions and should be addressed directly to our teachers outside of Dhamma class. Individual class suttas are linked in our newsletter for home study prior to class. Thank you. When you look at these individual teachings, I often find in these studies that the one thing I always roll back to is context. Without context, these teachings can be, uh, you can take it wherever you want with it, but within context, it brings you within the guidelines of what we're doing. So the purpose statement, the instructions, all have to have a context. As I said to begin with, my context is all conditioned things that arise are subject to impermanence. That's my context. So the context that I want you all to take with this class and all classes is within the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths, and dependent origination. If you keep it within that context, this all makes more sense. It all makes, it, it puts it in a place where this Dhamma is leading you to things like abandoning, clinging. Well, how do you do that? Well, without the context, it, you know, I listened to this one class on the way in and it's, I think it was Anthony. I can't even imagine abandoning clinging. How can I do that? Well, without context, it, it's impossible. So the sixth sense base teaching, if you think about within the context of dependent origination, this is how we interact with the world. And we come into contact. So within the dependent origination, is it being informed by the Four Noble Truths or ignorance? So when you come to that point where I interact with the noises out in the world during my meditation, do I crave for that or have an aversion toward, toward it? And then I cling to it? Or with that simple understanding that this will arise and pass away, that I can simply have that moment be as it is. That's really what our practice is. So context, context is everything. And I beat that thing like a drum and Mary can attest to it that it is relentlessly irritating because without it, you can get lost in, well, why is he talking about, you know, these six sense spaces? Well, within the context of our practice, it, it puts it in a place where it, it makes sense then why the Buddha is saying uh, to abandon. Well, that's such a, is such an uh, absolute term. But of course, the Buddha is also saying that it may take seven minutes or seven hours or seven months or seven years 
So that's the ultimate goal. But as Bridget taught us last week, this little moment of understanding that she didn't have to do it all. And that brought her peace. And mistakenly, she thought that was outside of her practice. And I will insist forever that is what your practice is as lay people. As a lay person, that's all I can do is I want calm so I can understand this moment. So then I can be with my child versus having to force something into that moment that is not me. I don't have control over it and I shouldn't want control over it. So that's how I conduct my practice. Everyone has to conduct their practice the way they want, but context is such an important thing to make it worth coming to this and being part of the Sangha. It's a wonderful Sangha if you never even decide to have context, it is, it's a nice place to be. Uh, you'll grab tidbits of important things that you can take and put it on a bulletin board and in your pocket and you'll get use out of it. But within context, you will see these condition ways that you think gradually change and that calmness that you may have moments of in meditation just becomes, becomes the way you live your life. It just slowly, gradually changes. So how do we interact with the world? Our senses. So mindfulness of the sixth sense base. The Buddha's words. Furthermore, one remains mindful of the quality of mind in reference to the sixth sense base. Remain mindful of the eye form and the clinging that arises from the eye form. Be mindful of the arising of clinging to the eye form. Be mindful that when clinging to the eye form is completely abandoned, clinging to the eye form will not arise in the future. And again, that word abandon is such an absolute word, but a student asked, well, how can you completely abandon? And again, it's, it's a gradual practice. It's not saying that if I don't completely abandon something, I'm failing or this is not working. Uh, this, is a, this is a lifelong project, deciding that the way I thought in my past was not that it was wrong, but it was wrong view. Right view is keeping in mind the four noble truths. And that's what I, the context that I always think of is, am I thinking about this moment within the context of the four noble truths? And that helps me keep the structure of my practice, you know, kind of in place. Buddha continues, remind mindful of the ear form and the clinging that arises from the ear form. Be mindful of the arising of clinging to the ear form. Be mindful that when clinging to the eye form is completely abandoned, clinging to the eye form will not arise in the future. Remain mindful of the nose form and the clinging that arises from the nose form. Be mindful of the arising of clinging to the nose form. Be mindful that when clinging to the nose form is completely abandoned, clinging to the nose form will not arise in the future. So you see the repetitive nature. Again, he's, he's just saying that the insights that you're experiencing on your cushion and out in the world are the three. Uh, three marks of existence that you're you're understanding that 
can't take this personal because it's impermanent. Therefore, it's not a permanent self. You can kind of prop it up all you want, but in the end, when you have those little moments of stress and those little moments of understanding, that's when you can understand that this consciousness of the ear, when I hear something out in the world, if I take it personally and demand that I have absolute quiet during my meditation, or do I just understand that this is the moment and it arises and it passes away? That's the calmness that this practice provides. And again, the Buddha continues, again, the six senses. Remain mindful of the tongue form and the clinging that arises from the tongue form. Be mindful of the arising of clinging to the tongue form. Be mindful that when the clinging to the tongue form is completely abandoned, clinging to, to the tongue form will not arise in the future. And that's just not taste, but uh, John's referred to it as it's your speech. You know, your, your speech is part of that, even though uh, I think what most people would think of is the taste, you know, becoming obsessed with the way something tastes and it has to be that certain way. But John mentioned that it was speech as well. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think in this particular uh, Speak up because I'm here. In, in this particular survey, it, it is, in my opinion, um, just a stop. It's a sense. It's really talking about senses. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't Use reference, reference uh, speech as one of the senses. Remind, remain mindful, the Buddha continues, remain mindful of the body form touch senses and the clinging that arises from the body form. Be mindful of the arising of clinging to the body form. Be mindful that when the clinging to the body form is completely abandoned, clinging to the body form will not arise in the future. Remain mindful of the mind form and the clinging that arises from the mind form. Be mindful of the arising of clinging to the mind form. Be mindful that when clinging to the mind form is completely abandoned, clinging to the mind form will not arise in the future. In this way, one remains mindful of the sixth sense space and the arising and passing away of the sixth sense space, independent of and not clinging to anything in this in the world. This is how one remains mindful of the sixth sense space in and of themselves. And that is the end of that part of the teaching. Again, very short. And in the past discussions have really kind of veered toward, well, how do I live my life? How can I not be passionate about that Met game? Or how can I not be passionate and totally engaged as a warrior at work? Or how can I not be obsessive about my children? Because without that, me showing how, how I'm absolutely obsessed with that, that it means I'm not going to be seen as a good mother or manager or fan. And it really was interesting how this discussion was that really, how can I be a fan and not be obsessed? 
And I always think of in terms of dependent origination, think about that. And some of you may have not been exposed to it yet and don't dive into it. Learn it as you go along. There's ignorance that starts it all. And then it zip lines to the end of suffering. That's what it is. And what we're trying to do is as we learn the Dhamma and develop this concentration for a very specific thing to be mindful. And what are we being mindful of? We're being mindful of the Four Noble Truths. That's what we're being mindful of. That's the context. And of course, along the way, you're learning how to be mindful of your breath, in your body, in your feelings, and your thoughts, in your present you know, state of mind. That's what this is. But really, in the end, it's always within, it's putting you back into the context of how you need to see the world in a way where it's a reality. It's not being colored by the, the propping up of I don't know, the way you think things have to be. Yeah, and it's constantly referring back to clinging, you know, clinging to the mm -hmm. or clinging to it, and that brings it again to second order time. All the time. They'll need to have things be different than what they really are. That's that's the practice. Why don't we go around the room? Uh, let's start with Brian since he was here first. Thank you, my friend. Um, I, I think back to the last couple of classes, right? The, the last three sections all deal with the quality of mind, starting with the hindrances and then the aggregates and now the sixth sense base. And all three of those combined constitute the, the fourth foundation of mindfulness, right? If you wanna know what your quality of mind is, you can start with what's happening at the senses. Are you attaching to that activity? Are you identifying with that activity? Are you getting swept away by it? Or are you just watching it arise and pass away? And it's the, the same with the hindrances, the same with the aggregates, right? Um, it is all just impersonal, impermanent phenomena contacting our senses. And at that point, if we develop sufficient enough concentration, we can in the moment, choose whether or not to engage with that phenomena or not. And the more you practice, the less desire and the less passion you have for that interaction. Um, and that abandoning, as you said, just sort of starts to begin its gradual descent. So thank you. And I guess the what comes up in these classes are Again, how do I engage in the world then? How am I a person? Where, where am I in this? And Brian's description is so, so good. In, in my mind, it, it, it prepares you to be fully engaged in the world, to be fully able to be clear of mind, have a clarity in each moment. So if you want to enjoy um, 
a baseball game. You can, of course you can, but you don't have to obsess about it. You can be with your children and each moment means something because you're not thinking about how someone else will think about what you, how you parent. Uh, again, it's full engagement. It's not becoming uh, an obligation where you're, you're, where am I in this? If I abandon all this clinging that makes me a person, it doesn't make you a person. It just makes you a stressful person. So thank you, Brian. That was good. I'm finding that the more mindfulness that's brought to that quality of mind and the abandonment of those activities, you're no longer in your head. You're just present. Yeah. yeah. It's wasteful. Much, much so, more meaningful like yeah. experience. Yeah, it's, you're there. You get to be there. It may not always be good. It may not have consequences, but it, it's certainly a much more nice way to go through life is to be calm in those moments of both joy and happiness and, you know, utter tragedy. So thank you. Dr. Kevin, how are you today? I'm doing well, David. Thank you for the context and, and for this teaching. I think it was just really brilliantly taught. And Brian, for your reflection on it, it's really great. Um, yeah, it's really the context is so important. You know, all this clinging, I mean, it brings up all the noble truths. There's the clinging, you think of five clinging aggregates, and they're they're based in the sixth sense base. There's clinging to form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, consciousness. So um, that's the first noble truth that, that brings suffering if you cling. And then the clinging craving, you want to try to abandon it. So that's this the second and third noble truths that suffering suffering comes from clinging and craving and it can be abandoned and then, <clears throat> of course as Brian was just saying the path you know is the fourth noble truth so it's all really in this context is really just another way of looking at the basics of this and how the, the four noble truths affect everything and the path is the way so thank you thank you Kevin how about Mary Allen how are you today? I am good. Thanks, David. Um, I really um, appreciate how you um, taught this. And I am also grateful for you for stepping in for John um, minutes before you headed out the door this morning, finding out you were teaching this. So thank you for that. Um, but I really, you know, the, the focus on jhana uh, is so fundamental and foundational to all of this that if you even take uh, the 30-minute sit, you know, imagine how many times you're um, in a variety of situations in life where you can literally be sitting there just focused on your breath and you're present and maybe you're more alert 
and aware of things that are going on around you. But that's when the abandoning and the clinging is ceasing when you're, you're so it's, I view it not as an action, I am going to abandon this because wouldn't that be lovely if, if there was uh, a magic wand for that. But I guess the magic wand is the um, ability to just be present with your breath in situations that come through your sixth sense base and participate in a much more meaningful way, you know, with the Eightfold Path in mind. So really focusing on that breath in a very practical manner um, and approach, um, it, 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 to me, is how the abandoning and the clinging um, ceases because you're not doing what you would have been doing and normally all your conditioned behavior, you're just truly being present and the act of being present is that focus on the breath and you can do that, you know, with your eyes open in a meeting, in line for something, you know, wherever you are. And it's so, um, you know, and then of course there's the continuing to study, continuing to meditate twice a day, but that's all that allows you to get off your cushion and live your life aware of what's happening in your body and in your mind and you know, begin to live your life in a way where you're not harming others and you are you know, fully there for whether it's your children or your spouse or the team that reports to you or the people you report to or however it is in your life, it really is, um, I don't wanna say that simple because everything I just said is really, it takes practice and, and it's not easy, but it is there for the taking. So thank you for your teaching, David. Thanks. If you think about restraint, we talk about restraint a lot here. You can go from just mindless, like the world is a flame, my your your mind is a flame, to as you get into this practice, you start thinking about restraint. How do I restrain my my speech, my actions? And then as your concentration develops and your mindfulness is more refined, then that, that restraint becomes a wise restraint because again, it's within the context of, of the Four Noble Truths. And that's where that, maybe abandonment, bad work, but there's a gradual like softening and letting go of these things that you held so staunchly to. And then it's just the way you are. And again, it's, it's invisible to most people. It's just this thing that just develops. And you can probably look at each one of you and think about when you first started this practice, even if whether it's been 10 years or a couple of years or a couple of weeks. And you can see your restraint is growing. You're more aware of things arising and passing away. And sometimes you think, oh, I should have caught that faster. But that's not what this practice is about. It's all about insight to the three marks. Just understanding this impermanent thing is arising and passing away. There is suffering. 
And this thing that I hold so true is not me. It's not mine. It's not who I am. So that's where the softening and wise restraint kind of takes hold. So thanks, Mary. Jeff, how are you this morning? Well, thanks, David. Uh, thanks for the teaching. Thanks for everybody's uh, wise words. It's very helpful. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I'm traveling again, kind of unplanned, unstructured traveling. So uh, it just it, it occurs to me what a metaphor for life that is. You know, it's it's so easy to get discombobulated when you're trying to meet flights, change flights, change hotels, do all things. And uh, it, it seems somehow more intense, but really that's what life is about anyway. Um, we, at least in my case, like to pretend I'm in control of things and have things well-planned. And uh, the truth is everything can change and does change constantly. And uh, yeah, the, to be present um, during those kinds of activities takes takes a little bit more concentration. It, it, I find it taking a little more effort, but um, much more important, I think, even when things are changing rapidly. Um, yeah, and I, I found it was a challenge this week to uh, to uh, be able to stay present and let the distractions fall away. So I, I appreciate everybody's uh, comments on it. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Anybody can hit a fastball. Anybody. Anyone can hit a fastball. This practice is in place so you can hit the curveball. That's what it is. It, you know, it's just describing being out in the world and, you know, it, it's harder out in the world in certain situations, but he's seeing things arise and pass away. And that that's what we want is to be present for that moment, to be present for that very moment where in the past you probably would get frustrated or angry or, you know, short with the person trying to check you in at a hotel. And now it's just this moment that you're aware of. So at the point of contact, are you aware of your senses necessarily? No, but you're aware of that point of contact. You're much more aware of that. That, that situation that's occurring right then and there or in the past with your child where you may have just, you know, urge, and now you can calmly approach that moment. So thanks, Jeff. Deborah, are you there? I am, but I'm not fit virtually. I apologize. No. no Go ahead. Good morning. Thank you, David. Good morning, Sangha. Um, yeah, I I have a couple of thoughts that I'd like to um, speak about. 
the first thought is when you were talking today, this morning about um, clinging of the, or the, the, the mouth sensation, I think, and I'm probably not using the right terminology, but I got to thinking about my coffee and coffee was introduced to me. Um, I mean, it was around my whole life, but I hated it. And it was introduced to me in a different fashion in 2008. And so from that point on, I had to have that coffee and it had to be made a certain way. And then when Jeff and I went to the retreat, that couldn't happen. So I began to realize, oh, I need to let go of this. I'm trying to control my morning. So today brought it to fruition again. And I thank you for that. Um, as I go to purchase two more cases of this coffee here soon. <laughs> but anyway, my other thought was, like Jeff, I am traveling in opposite direction. And like Jeff, uh, the travel has unexpected uh, happenings. So um, one of them was checking into my hotel last night and it cost me two times as much as I had anticipated. And I had to let that go. So on top of that, not only did I have to let that go, I decided, well, since I'm paying so much for a room, I might as well get up really early and um, take my class. So here I am. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, good choice. Yeah, it's, it's the little things, and it's the big things, it's the mundane things, it's the tragic things. It's all the same thing. You can't put us like a, this weighted thing on this thing that happens being formed and defined by ignorance or is it being defined by the Four Noble Truths? So it's this little moment at the counter of a hotel or is this difficult situation at work or is it just this thing with coffee? It's, it's all the same thing. So uh, thank you, Deborah. Is that it online? Bridget, since you're right there. To hear about the six sense space, I um, it reminded me of someone impart wisdom to me when I was much much younger, and I don't think I feel that person was probably trying to introduce me to Buddhism. <laughs> And it just dawned on me in this class because I was kind of hearing what that person had been trying to tell me that your preferences won't cause you suffering. You can prefer that coffee. Mm -hmm. But it's as soon as you identify with that coffee as being the coffee for you, that mm -hmm. you are now clinging to that coffee and you are averted to every other coffee. You know, and I think that I can look back on times of my life where I tend to notice it if I have set up an expectation. It's an occasion, mm. it's an event, 
it's a moment that I place importance on. And in this moment, I would like all the children to be dressed nice and the picture to turn out perfect, mm. you know? <laughs> or I would like the candles to be lit and the child to blow out the candles and everybody clap. You know, like when you create it, I'm going to... 72 degrees and sunny. <laughs> I'm going to go for a walk and it's going to smell like roses, but the trash is out for delivery. You know what I mean? Like when you have, when you are attached to the outcome of the moment, you are just setting yourself up for disappointment. You know, so when you just present with what's occurring, you realize that you don't have control over it and that it would be impossible for the people in this room to get up with all of our different visions of what we would like the next five minutes to be and for all of those to happen. You know, that's just not how the world works. The world isn't happening through you. The world is happening outside of you. So it's just so simple. That's so obvious if you say that out loud. But I think so many of us are walking around actually thinking it goes the other way. I got up this morning and because I'm here, the world is supposed to perform the way that I would like Mm -hmm. it to. And we wouldn't, I don't think anybody would admit that because you know that's not possible. That's foolish. But I think that secretly that's what people are walking around kind of expecting from the world. Well, I went to college and I got a great job and I expect to have nice things or, you know, I gave birth to this child. (laughs) I expected to behave the way that I wanted to and I want to have, you know, a specific experience or the Starbucks and ordered this coffee and mm. I want this coffee to taste like the last time I got this coffee you know mm. so I think that that's just it it's just that if you realize it's okay to have a preference you can want the Mets to win or if you're me you can want the Yankees to win <laughs> but as soon as it's like I am a Yankees fan you know it's like okay you're you're kind of you might be want to look at that like and in context that's name and form you're identified with that this has to be a certain way you are unless and if it's not i'm disappointed or then who am i if the yankees have lost the world series who am i now because i'm a yankees fan am i a loser do i need to feel disappointment i need to feel ongoing you know suffering or can it just be i like baseball i prefer the yankees and I prefer them to win, but okay, they didn't win. That has nothing to do with me, you know. It's not anything about who I am. And what, it's acting up in the restaurant. Yeah. And what you've just described is the three marks of existence. That's your that's your insight. You do it every time you come into class because you you speak to your personal experience, and you may not identify it as oh, this is Buddhism, this is our practice, but that's what you're doing you, almost each and every time and it doesn't mean it's always like a pleasant thing because sometimes things are going wrong but it's that that's the insight that's what this practice is for is that insight to those three things pretty cool when i see this thanks so yeah. it's super helpful and thank you for the invitation crazy thank you so much for the teaching um yeah, today was a really great session of meditation for me. Um, I would say out of the time I've been doing this, which you know is fairly short, 
um, I've had, I had a lot of clarity today and I felt, I guess, you know, the word I believe is equanimity mm. with all of these senses that are coming and arising and passing away. And um, I think from your teaching and then my experience in meditation and listening to everybody here, I'm, I think I'm starting to have the insight that our identity is truly formed from these senses, all of them coming together. And the clinging of them is what creates that I, you say, I'm making. Mm. Um, on, on the other side of my, my life outside of here, I just finished a book that's all about this too. And it was actually a very challenging book to understand in the I, in the mind intellectually. Mm -hmm. But through this meditation in this class, it's almost like it marinated because yeah. it was all about all of these different, I, you know, this idea that we have this one identity and it's a fixed identity. But the truth is when you sit in jhana and you, you're concentrating on the breath and these things are coming up and these, these mind states and you're not allowing in a sense, right? We're letting go. You're letting go of your normal go-to reaction to everything mm -hmm. you you it's clear to see that the identity is just a big fragmented ever vast thing mm -hmm. and I just it was a really interesting experience today to kind of like the teaching the book I'm reading the sitting here all of it just it kind of like it was very crystal clear and crisp to me that that, that truth that we aren't really the self that we think we are. Mm -hmm. So that's really all I have to and share. Then, and then again, the context is why we do this, you know, twice a day, come to class, do a little reading is so you can develop your concentration so you can be mindful of those things arising. So that clarity that you have at this moment is more often and then permanent. And again, it's not it's not a perfect game situation where you're always on and this is like I'm done. It, it's just a gradual changing of how you act. I like what Brian said. It stuck with me about like the abandonment is really like it's a descent. Like it's like a gradual descent from like, I remember the first time I sat in meditation and it was so challenging. Mm -hmm. I was like it. And, and one of the other things I did want to share, and I think I said this in the last time, um, the last classes, all of this for me anyway, really required and requires every time, like a ton of courage because mm -hmm. I so want to go back to the safe space in my mind mm -hmm. and not look at all of these uncomfortable things. Um, and every time I sit, I feel like I get a little more comfortable with the uncomfortable, mm. which is, I think, like what Brian said, that like, it's like a gentle gradual, as long as you keep coming back, it just starts to relax and soften. And the more you hear the, these different teachings, don't be intimidated by 34 class this and 26 class that. In the end, it's understanding suffering that's what it is understanding being brave about not being scared about looking at this and know that the buddha is not promising 
happiness. He's promising that if you stick with it, understanding. Yeah. And I remember first time I met John in person, I said, John, I just want to understand. I just that's that my whole expectation. Everything else will come with the sitting, and I couldn't sit at all. But just be persistent. You know, that right effort means I want to understand the four noble truths so I can get these understandings of these three marks. You know, being sensitive to impermanence. That's that's what we do. So thank you. That's right. Yeah. Laura. Hi, David. It's, it's on you, though. <laughs> thank you for the teaching. Um, yeah, when you go through, I mean, I've heard this uh, for the second time, this sutta. Um, sometimes when, you know, the Buddha goes through the list of the six senses and, you know, there's all that repetition. You were, you, you were even saying, oh, here's the repetition again. You know, at first it might seem kind of annoying, but do you think he's, you know, really doing that out of, you know, almost compassion, like just, I guess the distraction, you know, I realized like the clinging, the constant clinging when that happens to any of the senses, um, it's really for that need of like my need for distraction or my need for, um, like we always say, things wanting, you know, wanting things to be different than they are. Um, but yeah, I was, I was just going to ask you about that. Like, I think I, you know, at first, even though that repetition kind of seems, oh, here we go again, you know, clinging, I have to abandon it. But it's like, oh no, he's doing that out of compassion for us. You know? like, I always like the repetition in, in all the teachings but some of it was because it wasn't written down. So there was repetition. But I also think it's like, hey, don't sleep on, you know, this ear consciousness is a thing. Yeah. You know, that, you know, it's not just like this mind thing. Your ears, there's a consciousness attached to it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like, he's going through the list. You know, when he talks about, the sets, you know, six property thing. This is what you are. You're nothing more than this. You know, this this body is it. These senses are it. This is how we interact. You said at the point of contact. This is what is being engaged. You know, so I think he does do it with compassion because we are prone to want to do the shortcut version of things, right? Yeah. Oh. So hey, there is a nose consciousness. I'm like, well. Really, this could have been a two-minute thing. You know? <laughs> hey, your senses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know he's gonna, you know, he's gonna be relentlessly like presenting these things to keep in mind. Yeah. So, thank you. Thank you for teaching. How was your sit? Uh, this was my first sit. I know. Um, I think it was interesting because I, I was thinking about two things. Um, how much a barrier preconception of anything is, the sound, the distraction, mm -hmm. the smell. And then at the same time, how if 
we see ourselves as just another, as of one of those things, then it stops being something that I need to consider, to think about, to understand, to push away. But then I become actually a, a filter for it. Or it uh, it's going through me and I'm part of it. And it was just a nice moment to not have the responsibility of being mm. something that I need to understand and have a notion about. And, you know, it's just like, it's like a nice moment of being formless. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I don't know what the sound of that bird looks like or, you know, there's no structure to it. And mm -hmm. I was just thinking how I'm structureless in this moment. And it was really a relief. Good. Well, if you're going to develop a like a meditation practice, start with short sessions. Try to do it same time every day, twice a day. Uh, there's no time limit. Some people do it for five minutes at first. Um, but I think a typical one is 20 minutes twice a day. But do the best you can. I mean, it's just people are busy and, uh, you know, if you're uncomfortable again, jump out of it and then jump back into it. Uh, when you hear John or someone else said, you know, be gentle with yourself, it's not just being gentle with yourself, but again, to me, the context allows me to be gentle with myself. I don't try to go outside of the confines of the Eightfold Path. So that that's the gentleness that I develop for myself. You know, if you, if you have other interests, do so. But if you're interested in developing this practice, just keep that in mind that if you feel like you're being distractions are growing, just know that sometimes it's hard to juggle multiple things. And again, uh, everything's online. John has hundreds, I think, 380 classes online. It's interesting to see ones from the early mm -hmm. to now, because again, it's all impermanent. His personal yeah. experience is changing. Our personal experiences are changing. Questions are different. The answers are different. Bridge is going to have something different in a year, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's very good. Yeah, I can. It's just uh, it's a practice that's built to be gradual, and uh, you know, so join us again. Thank you. You're welcome. Rob, I'm going to forget you. When you were asking, what is this abandoning, clinging look like? For me, all the, the instructions to Bahia always come to mind. When seeing, there's only the seen. And when hearing, there's only the heard. Um, <clears throat> and because it is at, at that point of, of contact that the first inklings of this identity gets formed because <clears throat> you immediately assume that there is somebody here that's hearing. And, you know, Bahia was, was, you know, was somebody who'd been around for a while and, 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 under, and, and did have the concentration. 
but that that instruction was all it took for him to completely abandon that. And not only could he see without the filter, but you know his as as uh, as teaching says his um, his mind clear. That was it. <clears throat> this is, you know, at, at contact, this is where that that identity gets formed for the first time. Very, very, you know, it gets built on later on and, and, and it kind of builds into mm -hmm. five clinging ideas. But this is where it happens. <clears throat> And it's it's an interesting thing to to look at how how we build even even from a uh, a neurological aspect you can you can see where you know in between the time that that light hits your eyeballs and it actually gets processed and comes back as to oh I can see this. Uh, there's a whole lot going on. And, and in that whole process, little bits of identity get formed. And little bits of preferences get formed and aversions get formed. So yeah, understanding the, the six senses and, and, and what they do to us and what we do to them uh, is, is yeah, it's an important insight. Mm -hmm. Because it's if you think about last week, be aware when ill will arises. Mm -hmm. That's your aversion. I saw something, I don't quite like that. Mm -hmm. Be aware of it and just know that watch it pass away as well. And that's the beginning of that insight. Again, yeah. it's not a perfect thing. You're not yeah. going to see it that's, all the time. That's but... where the abandoning of the thing can happen. Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, everyone. Being patient with me. Does anyone else have anything to say? All good. We will end as always with Karaniya Metasuta. So find your comfortable sitting position. And this is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease, whatever living beings they may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, 
So with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, they abandon ignorance of four noble truths. Having completed the path, they are not born again into this world. Thank you, everyone. See you Tuesday. Thank you. David, the, the only fastball I can hit is metaphorical, by the way. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, David. Bye. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.